0: super talk mississippi media production taylor swift is coming to new orleans and margaritaville resort biloxi and super talk are giving away a free pair of tickets for your chance to win go register now at margaritaville resort biloxi and get your name in for the final drawing from margaritaville and super talk 103.1
1: howdy howdy it's rhino here and i wanted to say thank you for listening to middays with gerard gibbert here on super talk mississippi
2: everyone, and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studio, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music as we kick off a brand new week here, Rhino. Howdy, howdy. Well, a whole bunch of stuff happened over the weekend. We had some feetball games, didn't go too well for Old Miss, Mississippi State. Uh, And then we got some shuffling of the coaches as well, huh?
1: And it seems to be all revolving around one particular game.
2: (laughs) Has that ever happened before? Where both the winning team and the losing team's coach in a contest or terminated within about 48 hours.
1: If it's happened, it's happened less than a handful of times in the entire history of college football. That's got to be rare.
2: We'd have to do some deep digging on that one, but we are going to have our good friend Brian Haydad. He's the co-host, of course, of Sports Talk Mississippi and Thunder and Lightning, the podcast, and also Robbie Falk, co-host of Thunder and Lightning. They're going to call in at... uh, 1035 this morning and give us a breakdown of that news out of Starkville. That is Zach Arnett, former head coach of the Mississippi State Bulldogs. He's out. He has hereby been relieved of duty. So is Jimbo Fisher. How could he be unhappy? He's getting 76 mil, right? Well, Jimbo is. Jimbo is what I mean, yeah. Over there at Texas A M. You knew that was a bad hire to start with, though. It just didn't look like the right thing to do.
1: Well, it wouldn't have been a bad hire if it didn't have a 70 million, $80 million buyout. That's true. Well, Because, I mean, he he's right. He's, I think he's still behind Sumlin as far as record. But they didn't lose their shirt having to pay off Sumlin
2: to not coach. That's true. Very true. In some other news, politically speaking, it's Senator Tim Scott. He has announced he is no longer a candidate for President of the United States. He just said it's not the right time. Uh, so what is that who does that leave besides Trump, who's still just dominating in the polls? We got Ramaswamy. Yeah, you got Nikki Vivek,
1: Haley? Nikki Haley, Chris Christie. Ron DeSantis. And Boots DeSantis. <laughs> so that's the problem. Trump's nicknames this go round have <laughs> failed, they've <laughs> fizzled. Ron DeSanctimonious just <laughs> doesn't roll off the tongue. No, it doesn't. I would offer Boots. <laughs> boots? What does that mean? Well, he loves showing up for his interviews wearing boots, Uh and they've been the topic of conversation because it looks like he's tiptoeing in those things. And uh, that has caused people to speculate that he's wearing
2: inserts to make himself look a little taller. Taller. Yeah, I've seen that as well. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, But Tim Scott certainly reduces uh, the size of the field. Doug Burgum, I believe, is still in, though. The North Dakota governor? Just doesn't
1: know when to quit.
2: He got enough money where he can just keep on at it, I think. so. But at this point, is there even any need to have a debate unless Donald Trump is part of it? I don't think there is. I really don't. He said, and he announced this, by the way, live last night on Fox during an interview with former Congressman of South, from South Carolina, Trey Gowdy. What's the name of his program? Sunday Night in America. could not tell you. Yeah, something like that. I've watched it a few times. Trey's okay. Nonetheless, he kind of shocked Trey. They're friends from the same state.
1: Well, so yeah. yeah. I mean, think about it. You're you're a host of a program. If we had a presidential candidate on. You would be expecting to ask them questions about their candidacy and what they would do if they win. Yep.
2: Not breaking news, I'm out. <laughs> exactly. The Scott campaign has announced that they're all in on Iowa in an effort to gain on his primary arrivals by targeting the first nominating contest on the GOP calendar. So that's kind of interesting. That's but the super PAC. Um, as Pulitzer says, this is last month, I should say. It's when Scott said, I'm all in. And then all of a sudden, I'm not. I'm out. He kind of kept this decision rather close to the vest. You know, I just saw him at this uh, event up in Oxford a couple of weeks ago. It was fantastic. I thought he did an excellent job in, in a one-on-one setting on the stage there in the pavilion. He was present with Professor Stephen Scoltetti. He chairs the Department of Philosophy and Religion at the university. He's also the director of the new Declaration of Independence Center for the Study of American Freedom. And that's why Senator Scott was on hand to kick that off, to sort of inaugurate that. But he did excellent, I thought, in that one-on-one setting, much better than he does in interviews or in debates Because it just seems like in these debates, all of these candidates have been coached by their handlers and have been provided these little so-called catchy one-liner zingers. Got to get my zinger in. (laughs) And they're looking for the right time to insert that. And it doesn't seem right, in my view. Feels very shoehorned. Exactly. Good way to describe it. So he's out. The field is shrunk. And we'll see where it goes from here. Meanwhile, Donald Trump's dealing with all kinds of legal matters. It's just consuming him. Also, you know, Saturday was Veterans Day. I hope you thanked those who wore the nation's uniform. We certainly enjoyed our remote broadcast on Thursday from two Mississippi museums. That was in honor of Veterans Day. And then Friday at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. Always a pleasure being at the museum there. What a fabulous asset that is, as are the two Mississippi museums in central Mississippi. But Donald Trump, he said on Veterans Day, he posted on his social media platform, Truth Social, he pledged to, quote, root out the communist, Marxist, racist, and radical left thugs. That's what he said on Veterans Day. And uh, Republican National Committee Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel sort of dodged questions about the former president's post. Interesting. I'm she getting more and more
1: behind Vivek's idea that she got to go. Yeah, I'm, I'm of the same
2: view at this point, I think.
1: Two election cycles, lots of losers— Intransigence on a outreach program for young voters, she has not a clue
2: how to win. Totally agree, and that's what her job is. Her job's to win, and they did not do well in Virginia, and then they lost in uh, the ballot measures in um, Ohio. The one in particular that now enshrines the right to an abortion up to the point of fetal viability, which is thought to be twenty-two to twenty-four weeks in the state constitution. Now I've had I've read some sort of post mortem reports on that, Rhino, and the pro choice people are outspending the pro-life people significantly in that particular referendum, twenty to one outspending, and the fact is, that accounts for a lot when folks go to pull the lever at the ballot box. They're very crafty at the message, and the pro-life people aren't spending that kind of money to counter, and that's been the case in other referendums in the nation, all of which have gone in favor of the pro-choice movement, not the pro-life movement. I think Nikki Haley had the most sensible approach on that. She just said, look, the reality is anything you think about getting done at the federal level requires 60 votes in the Senate in terms of abortion. It just ain't going to happen. I I agree. I mean, the numbers just don't stack up in favor of that. The other thing that's uh, on the minds here up there in the Capitol in Washington is that once again, we are running out of money, (laughs) and we don't got enough money to go through the weekend. It all comes crashing down on Friday, unless the uh, government sees to some legislation that would provide some dollars to keep everything going. So this is a huge test for newly minted Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. We got that. We got Brian Haydad coming up at ten thirty-five, Joel and Natasha to talk about Israel at eleven oh five.
0: Now back to middays with Gerard here on Super Talk, Mississippi.
2: back in the element well studio moody's cut its outlook for the u.s economy and downgraded the u.s economic outlook from negative uh, pardon me too negative from stable moody's of course the credit rating agency i was a little surprised at that i mean i I get what they're trying to say here, but the reality is the federal government has never missed a payment, not going to, and that's really what's important with respect to credit and rating credit. Can you pay back what you borrowed? The federal government has never defaulted on any of the debt it has issued, any of the Treasury debt. So why are we even doing this? But that has... It's um, affected the markets a bit this morning. The Dow's been back and forth across that unchanged line. The old kangaroo hopping about presently down a mere three points. Crude oil has fallen below 80 bucks. Demand has fallen. Supply has increased. Uh, The Dow now back on the unchanged line and now in the positive territory. The Nasdaq's down 25 points. S&P uh, as well as just sitting around the unchanged line. The Treasury went to sell a bunch of debt last week at their auction. It's what they got to do to raise money to operate the government. And they struggled getting um, the price they were looking for. Because the demand wasn't there, and when that happens, they have to lower the price of those bonds, which increases the yield. Those two figures work in a counteractive fashion. Price of the bond goes up, yield goes down. Price of the bond goes down, the yield goes up. So when the demand is not there, the, is part of the auction process. The government has to reduce the price of the bonds, thus boosting the yield. That's what happens, and typically when you see that, that's bad for equities in the stock market. just means investors are fearing inflation, and therefore they're not willing to commit their money away in buying these bonds unless they get a pretty good discount to account for potential inflation. I've seen these analysts... I pay a lot of attention to that, and there there's just no consensus on where the market's going, what the Fed's going to do. Of course, this is what makes the buyers and sellers. I did hear one analyst this morning suggest that they see Microsoft, you ready for this, going to 300 bucks a share within the next 18 months. On the back of what? Well, I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, pardon me, five hundred bucks a share. It's currently trading for three sixty-seven. Five hundred bucks. Five hundred bucks. Um, so their theory is that they're just getting started in this artificial intelligence game, and that they intend to embed artificial intelligence into what is the cash cow for the company. And that's their cloud-based applications, services, where we all just send them money every month for the privilege of using their software. Those that do. And it's a gigantic base of users worldwide. And they say they're just getting started. And they, even though that would put them at a ridiculous 60 times earnings, based on today. Today's earnings. They believe that their earnings are going to be boosted substantially, that we're all going to be willing to pay a premium for those applications to get the artificial intelligence component.
1: So using their cloud services to host artificial intelligence, not utilizing artificial intelligence in their cloud services.
2: No, actually the latter. The latter. Artificial intelligence embedded into the common office applications of off, uh, office applications, the suite, Microsoft Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Visio, etc. Yeah, that's what they're saying. Is that? And I have seen that you know announcements from the company about how they're going to incorporate in the applications. I don't have all the understanding of what that might look like and what value they that may provide, but that is the expectation. You got Salesforce.com, really kind of the first major software company to deliver their tools through the cloud, Salesforce.com. That's twenty something years ago at this point, twenty years ago. Big time effort and um, to include Artificial intelligence in their in their suites in their uh, in their product suite, which which is really based on the Salesforce CRM and then everything that bolts on to that. So that's part of their plans. All these companies are doing it. It's it's what's energizing the market. is lots of lots of hope, shall we say? Lots of uh, positive expectation. Well, they've
1: gained ground in the search engine market share from Google with their product Bing because it's utilizing AI uh, in a way that Google has been gamed. Like, when you type in something into Google, nine times out of ten, you're going to get a sponsored result at the top of the page, and that sponsored result has been catered using a variety of different methods to you. Yeah. Whereas it seems like on Bing, you're getting a more... Honest representation of what's out there to find, because it's using AI to to go find
2: it. Whereas Google seems to be more financially backed. Yeah, it's 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 their more their legacy algorithm as opposed to Microsoft now in, incorporating embedding AI into the search process itself. Uh, it's a little bit. I mean, it's
1: but they're still nowhere near as as many users as Google. Right.
2: Chrome. The big the big product there. Absolutely. They still don't have that. And of course, how do they make money on that advertising? That's that's the, how revenue is generated from providing a search engine. I'm just trying to figure out
1: like okay, if you have AI say in Microsoft Word, is it going to essentially be what you have with AI in Photoshop? Where you have a really cropped-in photo of somebody's face and a hand, and then you can zoom out, hit the AI, and autofill the rest of that person and their background or whatever else. Does that mean you can type in, Dear so-and-so, I hate your guts. Hit the AI button, and it types up a nasty letter for you? Don't know. Or Possibly. in Excel, do you do you just have all the data, plug it in, and it goes? I think you're trying to make a spreadsheet for your finances. Would you like me to do that for you?
2: Well, I can see where, it, let's say, you're in Excel and you you've got what are called side captions, labels for a row or a column, and those are words that you're putting in there, and perhaps it detects that and it provides some sort of assistance. I mean, I I've I, I have personally sat down and produced lots of spreadsheets, detailed analysis where I got a spreadsheet on one screen and on another screen, I got about 20 tabs open in Chrome where I'm researching information. I can see where AI could assist in the research and the digging out of the data that I'm trying to get to to populate the spreadsheet itself, the analysis itself. I'm just guessing. I don't know that that's what the plan is, but I can see where that would be beneficial. I can see where you sit down in Word, and regardless of what you're drafting, it could be anything from a a bill, right, to a white paper, to an article. I mean, it's all the things you use Word for. I can see where AI could benefit the drafting of that and, and perhaps suggest prompts or just sense and read what you're typing and say, here, this may... Hell, this may be some information that could provide assistance in the draft.
1: Do you think we'll have a little paper clip with animated eyes in the corner of the screen giving us hints like we used
2: to? <laughs> that was terrible, by the way. You didn't like Clippy? No, I turned that crap off. I didn't really care for that. <laughs> uh, so I don't know what all they have planned, obviously, but there's no doubt that there's a play there, that artificial intelligence could be of benefit. I can certainly see that, even in office automation applications. Company ServiceNow, we, we started um, providing solutions around that before I sold my company. ServiceNow uh, indicates that they've embedded artificial intelligence into their tool suite, Salesforce.com, big-time CRM product. Widely used in a variety of industries. Of course, they already have it, and they're uh, creating more, developing more. This is just all part of their plans. All, I mean, even basic just accounting applications as well, including AI in their tools, and their platform. We are stepping aside for a break right now. When we come back, it's Brian Haydad and Robbie Falk. We're going to talk about former coach Zach Arnett.
0: You're listening to Midday's with Gerard Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Hit the road,
1: Jack. Don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. Hit the road, Jack. And don't you come back no more. What you say? Oh my God.
2: (laughs)
3: That's not nice, Rhino. If
2: it were only Zach instead of Jack. (laughs) We welcome to Middays Now, our good friend, Brian Haydad, a co host of Sports Talk Mississippi and also the wildly successful Thunder and Lightning podcast. All right, Brian. Uh, you know, I, you sports guys.
4: <laughs> I
2: know. I saw your I saw your post on X that always offends Rhino. He still causes Twitter. <laughs> it's Twitter,
3: it's Twitter, Gerard. We're not going there.
2: Okay. Uh sources have informed. <laughs> oh That's what it is. <laughs> I love that yeah. sources. Okay. Yeah. Uh so, did you see this coming? I guess that's first question. Did you see it coming now?
3: Yeah, I did. Okay. Um, you know, we started talking about it honestly after the Arizona game, and we were just like, "This is this doesn't look right." And then they played LSU when they were so bad against LSU, and then you know, two weeks later, you watch Ole Miss going up and down the field on LSU, and State couldn't move the ball at all, and you're like, "This is this is not making any sense. How how bad this team is?" And it just kept getting worse week to week. And I honestly thought that yesterday might have been the day, uh, but they decided to give it 24 hours. Uh, but yeah, it, I felt like after the game Saturday, state couldn't go any further with, with Zach Arnett and, and a change was going to have to be made. Gotcha. Um,
2: well, it, do you think the timing it coming here with two games remaining? Is there some express purpose for that? Is it a recruiting issue? Is it because you need to go ahead and get out there with with Jimbo Fisher being terminated at uh, texas A and m? Uh, of course, now they're scrambling for a coach. Is it just to get your name in the hat and start searching?
3: I think you know from a search perspective. I'm sure there there's been some feelers thrown out over the last couple of weeks, but I think it's more about just making a statement to the fan base that what happened Saturday can't continue to happen. Okay, um, you've got two games coming up against your in-state rivals. You play in Southern Mississippi this week, and then Ole Miss. You can't take the risk of those kind of performances being duplicated. And it was it was just clear from watching Zach Arnett that I mean he was just not himself. He was just not doing things the way he would want to do them and for whatever reason that is this team was just not responding to him so they, they're you know you got to try something to have a little bit of a spark because you can't be embarrassed like that in these next two games
2: yeah do you think Brian there's just some coaches that are just better suited to be coordinators assistants and maybe not head coaches
3: I do think that. For sure, but I don't know that that's the case here with Arnett. I just think Arnett wasn't ready at this time. Okay. I think Arnett will will get back into the coaching game. My guess is he'll be a hot name for a lot of defensive coordinator jobs this year. I mean, right off the top of your head, you know that USC and LSU are going to be looking for new defensive coordinators. Yeah. He, he, he interviewed down at LSU just a couple of years ago with Ed Orgeron. Yep. Um, so he'll get back in the game. And then from there, you know, in four or five years, maybe he's ready to, to take on a smaller job, a group of five job. And sort of pick up. I mean, people got to remember with Arnett, he's only thirty six. Yeah, his whole life is still in front of him. He's still got plenty of years left in the coaching game. Um, But this was this opportunity. You know, I I commend Zach Arnett at the time for taking the job, keeping the program together at a a moment of of real tragedy. But it's obvious as we've gone through this year that the job was just a little bit bigger than he was ready to handle at this point.
2: Have you heard any feedback from the players?
3: I uh, have not. I mean, I've, I saw a tweet that says they found out in a team meeting earlier uh, this morning. Um, but a number of them found out on Twitter because the, the news broke so early, and mm-hmm. you hate that, but it just kind of is what it is when the news gets out there that quickly. Um, we're supposed to talk in uh, about uh, a little bit over an hour to Zach Selman and then the interim head coach, Greg Knox, his second stint as interim head coach here in yep. Starkville. Um, and then, you know, practices. Tonight, I don't know if they've changed the availability, if they're going to let players speak after that practice or not, uh, but it will definitely be interesting to hear what they have to say.
2: All right, who's, uh, who's on the list as prospective candidates to take over?
3: You know, the thing about those lists is the first draft is usually not got the guy on there. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you go back through state, Mullen wasn't on the first list, Moorhead wasn't, Leach wasn't. The first list is going to have names like John Sumrall, who was at Ole Miss prior to be taking over at Troy, and he's he's been doing a really good job there. I'm sure Jamie Chadwell's name will be on that list. Uh, Lance Leopold, Jeff Traylor, you know, basically all of your, your young up-and-coming, although uh, Leopold's not very young, but guys who are at jobs that are, you would say, less than or equal to Mississippi State. Um, you know, with Zach Selman, this is his first big hire as an athletic director, and he's a young guy who, you know, Wants to have a long career doing this, so he knows, you know, the the the, the stakes of, of this hire not only for Mississippi State but for his future. So he's gonna. I'm interested to see if he goes sort of similar to where Mississippi State went went with him, and that they went kind of off the radar, young guy who was ready to take that next step. That's the way I would go. I would go. I would have two. If you were asking me to, to give my input, I would have two qualifications: is I want a younger guy. I want somebody who's you know late thirties, early forties, and I want an offensive guy. I want somebody, you know, I want to, I want to try to mimic, and you'll like hearing this, but I want to try to mimic what Ole Miss has done. I want to have an exciting brand of football that gets people excited to come to the stadium, that puts points onto the the, sport, the scoreboard. I think State, you know, needs to kind of get away from the the, the grind. Uh, Philosophy they've had, they they need to be a little bit more exciting, have a little bit more juice in this program. So that that's what I that's where I would look if I'm Zach Selman. That being said, I'm sure state will go the exact opposite of what I just (laughs) said.
2: Do you believe former head coach
3: Dan Mullen is in the mix? I don't I don't think he's going to be a, a real candidate for a couple of reasons. One. I think there may still be some some lingering resentment from the from his departure back in 2017 but more importantly this is a man who who I think Florida is paying him close to 20 million dollars in buyout and now he's working for ESPN he's home on the weekends he gets to see his kids more I don't know that he wants to get back into the grind and this is a guy who you know when he was here was not known as a great recruiter he was a great developer and a great play caller but he did not like to get out there and do the recruiting and now with the portal and with NIL I don't know that Dan Mullen wants to get back involved in that, so I will be surprised if Mullen is a, a legitimate candidate at any point.
2: Hmm. You know, that's a good point, and you wonder, Brian, the way that portal and NIL uh, have have changed just the the entire gambit of recruiting. If if coaches, when they're thinking about going somewhere, really do a deep dive into
3: uh, the finances behind. Those mm-hmm. efforts, I you mean, have to. You have to. Right? You have to. I mean, well, I mean, you think about it. You're a businessman. If you were going to acquire a company, or if you were going to go work at a company, you would do that due diligence. You sure. would look at their finances and say, are they are they really poised to, to to move into the future? And if they aren't, you would say no. And and the same thing is now true with coaches. They're gonna they're gonna ask questions in the interview, like, what does your nil you know war chest look like? What does your collective look like? How does your university embrace nil? And if the answers aren't satisfactory, you're not going to get. You're not going to take that job. The good news for Mississippi State, we had Charlie Winfield on with us a couple weeks ago when we were in Starkville, is that NIL is, is in a good spot at Mississippi State. You know, they, they're in a place where they can be active in the portal. They can be active in recruiting with the right head coach.
2: Yeah, I mean it's just turned the whole deal upside down, has it not? In to, to a great yeah, yeah. extent. If you think about uh, recruiting pre NIL, pre portal, you know, you were truly trying to sell. The program, uh, the mm-hmm. culture, the opportunity, uh, the w- a winning legacy, the future, other players coming, all that sort of stuff. I'm not sure that really fits into the the equation anymore. Is it's, it's kind of overshadowed by the financial aspect? I guess it's fair to say that.
3: Especially, you know, with high school kids, yeah, there is still some of that. Especially, you know, your high school quarterbacks want to tell you, hey, you're the future. But these transfer portal kids, yeah, their their main interest is their NIL deal and winning. They they want to be on a program that's going to be successful, and they want to be on a program that gives them the opportunity to have that payday. And I don't, you know... We live in a world, Gerard, where a coach got fired yesterday who never won a championship ever in his career at that, te- at that university, at Texas A&M. And he's going to pocket $76 million. Man. And you know we'll, we'll, this is this is a political show. We'll tie it into that. Nobody goes to Congress and says we got to get these coaches uh, packages down. We can't we can't have coaches making this kind of money. It's just about you can't have the athletes making this kind of money. Yeah, and that's that's kind of where it is right now. So good news for state is with Arnett, his buyout is not. Prohibitive, and if he takes another job, that cuts into what state has to pay as well. So they probably are going to end up get off the hook here for less than three million dollars, as opposed to seventy-six, 76. million for uh,
2: for, for Jimbo. What you've seen? Uh, you've seen the post floating around. I'm sure Rhino has too. When I grow up, I want to be a fired
3: college football, coach. a fired football coach. <laughs> it's the best job in America. They're making more money than any of us.
2: Oh my gosh! Well. Brian, I know you'll be keeping up with it, and so will uh, we, and I'm sure there'll be some breaking news soon, and you'll come back on and talk to us about it. Appreciate it, buddy. Good to see you today. Absolutely, Jordan. Anytime. We're coming right back, folks, in the Element Whale Studio. It's midday. Stay with us.
0: Listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Pick me up, love. Pick me up, love. Every Every long,
4: day.
1: Pick me up.
2: We're back with you in the Element Wells studio, the Dow now up 100 points. It's just hopping all over the place. Ten-year yield has fallen. I think that's the reason the doubt is up. So the Treasury got to go out there and sell them about $2 trillion of ponds to finance the government. And, of course, we're going to have a shutdown this coming Friday. Once again, a fire drill leading up to that. Unless the Congress can pass some measures that would fund the discretionary portion of the federal budget. And under regular order, that would consist of passing 12 separate bills. That is what was at the heart, honestly, of Matt Gates calling for the ouster of Kevin McCarthy, the prior Speaker of the House. Wanted to see regular order as opposed to the old continuing resolution, which just simply says, folks, just keep spending at the exact same levels we're at under the last appropriation. That's why it's called continuing resolution. Nothing changes. And now we're facing a situation where it is highly unlikely that we'll get these 12 bills passed between now and Friday. Thus, we're going to see continuing resolutions. Now, the Speaker, Mike Johnson, has proposed what he calls laddered continuing resolutions. And that's just really two different continuing resolutions to fund the various aspects of discretionary funding portion of government. One of those would run out on January the 19th the other February the 2nd. And it's thought that that would give the House sufficient time to put together 12 separate spending bills that could get through the House and the Senate and then to the President's desk for enactment. Really not sure what's going to happen in the Senate at this point. If this is the approach employed, as Speaker Johnson has indicated, he rolled this out on Saturday, this two-step government funding approach, stopgap bills, as they're called, and this is just in an effort to avert a shutdown. So the honeymoon, as they say, <laughs> rhino is over. He's having to deal with these rather thorny issues right off the bat. You knew it. We said it here on the program that... Don't expect any major change here, folks. Well, here we are. Same old thing again. And that's largely because we just have divided government. We have a divided conference, let's be honest, in the House. Little consensus in the House on funding among Republicans. That makes it even more difficult to get something done here meaningful. But that's where we are, and we'll be watching that because we're inside five days of averting a shutdown. By the way, the Microsoft AI bolt-on, it's called Copilot. I couldn't think of it in the last uh, segment when we were discussing that before we had Brian on. 30 bucks a month, that was revealed this past summer. 30 bucks a month to add copilot to your office application suite. Honestly, if you don't pay you get Clippy. <laughs> Clippy. <laughs> uh, hardly <laughs> hardly a substitute <laughs> for full-blown AI. So that the, the uh, what got us talking about this is I saw I mean, this is a re, a reliable, highly regarded investment analyst who predicts Microsoft Presently trading at three hundred and sixty-seven bucks a share, will ascend to five hundred dollars a share within eighteen months. That's a big old premium, that's a
1: whole lot of
2: money. Yeah. So what's that? Forty percent, roughly. Think so. Forty percent increase. I guess if you got money, and you believe that's going to happen. You can make yourself a quick 140 bucks over eighteen months. 140 bucks a share. So, it,
1: just as a, of July 24th this year, they're just shy of seven and a half billion
2: shares outstanding. Big old float. It's widely held. As to be expected. I just thought that was interesting when I when I heard that. And the host said, wait, 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 can you repeat that, please? He wanted to make sure he heard it right, and I think just got it on the record as well. That's a big old premium. I mean, is artificial intelligence the the second Internet boom for the stock market similar to that? Because that made a whole bunch of people a whole lot of money. It lost a whole bunch of people that hung out on that sort of stuff and made the wrong calls, didn't get out at the appropriate time? I honestly think so. I do think it is that transformational. It's exciting, in my view. But it's time for a break here on Middays. Top of the hour means Fox News, Super Talk News up next. And then Joel and Natasha will join us. They're the hosts of America's Roundtable Radio. Stay with us.
0: And now...
2: Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of middays. It's a Monday, so we got Ricky Matthews, Super Talk Outdoors, in store for you after the top of the hour. But joining us now, it's Joel, the uh, host of America's Roundtable Radio Program and co founder, International Leaders Summit. Joel, good to see you again, sir.
4: A very good morning to you, Gerard, and to your listeners at Supertalk Mississippi Media.
2: You bet. So we wanted to have you on to uh, give us an update on the situation in Gaza. I guess the first question I'd ask you, Joel, is who can we rely on for credible reports, for information that is accurate about the situation? Because there is a lot of information, and best I can tell, there are a lot of conflicts coming out of the region, depending on the source. What's the truth, Joel, and how do we get to it?
4: That's a very good question, Gerard, and something that has really been a great concern for our fellow Americans as they are bombarded by images on social media and uh, we have been led to believe by mainstream media that whatever the Gaza Ministry of Health communicates uh, that's looked as uh, if it's the real word but we all know that Gaza's Ministry of Health is controlled by Hamas and yes there are some very good sources of information from Israel we certainly have some great uh, allies uh, that are doing excellent reporting, accurate, dependable reporting from Israel, from the Gaza region. And uh, we have the Jerusalem uh, Post. We have Jewish News Syndicate. Uh, these are reporters on the ground. CBN News Uh, which has done an extraordinary work with a number of reporters on the ground with Chris Mitchell uh, leading that effort as the Middle East bureau chief in Jerusalem. So these are great, credible sources. But as far as we are noticing what's coming up on our mainstream media, there is a tendency to take whatever Hamas says at its worth. And its, it's at its word. And we have to understand that ta- Hamas is a terrorist group. They're the ones that perpetrated this horrific terrorist attack uh, on Israelis on October 7, 2023. The worst day uh, for Israelis since the Holocaust. And yet we are to believe what Hamas is saying as far as the numbers of individuals killed. Uh, we don't know how many of them were Hamas terrorists in that number Uh, So uh, we certainly have to be very discerning and uh, certainly look at key sources of information from within Israel, uh, such as JNS.org, Jerusalem Post, CBN News. There are three really reliable sources.
2: You know, the president is receiving uh, lots of calls from members of his own party, uh, the squad in particular, and, and some others as well, uh, to encourage Israel uh, just to cease fire and just to, to discontinue any retaliation or any attempts to, to root out these terrorists that, that, um, that caused this, these horrific events, which we saw on October the 7th and to some degree after. The president seems to be in a bit of a pickle here on this matter when he's got members of his own party that are encouraging him uh, to work with uh, Netanyahu to do so uh, to to call a ceasefire do you think he's going to cave on this and he he seems to just be a little tentative even in denouncing Hamas in my view and tr- in trying to straddle the fence here. Is that a good political strategy and more importantly, where does that leave our our most faithful ally Israel?
4: That's a very good question as well, Gerard. In fact, this is the time to stand with Israel shoulder to shoulder. And in fact, the efforts that we have been seeing uh, seeing taking place, whereby President Biden is communicating a three-day ceasefire request uh, to Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel. At this time, there ought not to be a ceasefire whatsoever. Hamas has not released The hostages, over 240 hostages, a number of them American hostages. And so we have to go back to the premise of the ceasefire existed until October 6, 2023. And look what happened. And today we have over 10,000 rockets that were fired from Gaza into Israel proper. There's no attempt on the part of Hamas to slow down its operations. So I think what we're seeing right now is that Hamas is using its pro, uh, its allies and the media uh, to really push this narrative that they need a ceasefire for humanitarian purposes or whatever. But the ceasefire will be used by Hamas uh, for their purposes, to yeah. rearm its terrorists. And that we cannot certainly uh, accept in uh, Israel. Uh, It's work to root out Hamas. This ground incursion is so important. And they are working to rescue the hostages as well.
2: I mean, it seems to me like Israel's been somewhat patient, uh, given the horrors that were inflicted on their civilian population civilians not going after the idf the israeli military but on civilians and here we are a month later and and they've engaged somewhat but i think out of an abundance of caution and in an attempt uh at all costs to avoid inflicting civilian casualties i think they've been really rather mild in their response
4: In fact, Israel's uh, response has been very measured, as you uh, have rightfully mentioned. In fact, as we remember right during the early days, there were targeted strikes targeting Hamas terrorist networks. Then Israel communicated through leaflets, through phone messages, uh, through all forms of communication, including social media, to encourage the Gazans to go south. Now we're seeing more than 200,000. Gazans moving down south where there is a safe refuge for them and humanitarian supplies are coming in some hundred, uh, trucks per day to provide assistance. Uh, but the question should be asked uh, in that response is that, you know, the Israelis have done more than anyone else would have. No other country warns its enemies that they're going to be coming in with a ground incursion or a ground invasion and allow so much time. It was weeks before Israel actually began their ground operations. So they are a rule of law nation. Israel is a rule of law na- nation, and they are working uh, steadfastly to make sure that they uh, respect uh, the the uh, international law, uh, the wars uh, that the war that is being engaged right now, and uh, f- saving lives. Instead, what we see Hamas doing is using Gazans as human shields, using hospitals, schools, mosques. That's where they have their uh, areas of operation. In fact, their military uh, terrorist organization is found underneath some of these hospitals. Yeah. Uh, so we're facing a very vicious terrorist network backed by Iran, and Iran is, is the source of all evil uh, that is permeating through this region right now
2: we should also point out that there have been multiple incidents involving u.s military personnel as well as u.s military installations and assets and this country really hasn't done a great deal in the form of retaliation is this a sign of weakness on the part of our president
4: in fact, over the past month, Gerard, 50 strikes targeted U.S. military installations in Iraq as well as in Syria. And let us not forget that our even our Navy fleet uh, was attacked by the Houthis in Yemen. And indeed, our response has not been something that has deterred Iran. In fact, they're more emboldened. Uh, Over the past year, we noticed that there were a great number of attacks, but it was underreported. So rather than pinprick strikes, there ought to be more targeted strikes that send Iran a strong message that America is not going to tolerate them trying to increase or actually enlarge this this, uh, conflict and expand it. And they, Iran, are using Hezbollah. Up in the north, they're using Hamas in Gaza. They're using the Houthis. And the main culprit is Iran, and we are not addressing it. We do need strong leadership in the White House. And Congress also has a responsibility to address these issues too. It has to be done urgently before this escalates into a much wider Middle Eastern conflict, drawing in all the wrong actors such as China and Russia.
2: Yeah, just see, we got to go, Joel. But just seems to me like that maybe the best strategy would be for the president to to draw the so-called red line and and then um, act on uh, any any breach, any incursion of that red line as a deterrent. But I I haven't seen anything come out of uh, the White House at this point uh, in that regard. Joel, always appreciate you coming on and and sharing your wisdom on these matters and your insight. And I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Thanks a lot.
4: Thank you, Gerard.
2: Folks, we're coming right back. We're in the Element Well Studio.
0: Midday's with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this on Super Talk Mississippi. Let's do.
2: We are back. That's Tom Petty doing green onions there, huh? Oh, yeah. From the 60s, originally. So just checking the president's Twitter account, he says, I don't look, this was two hours ago, I don't look at the economy through the eyes of Wall Street and Park Avenue. I look at it through the eyes of the people I grew up with in Scranton, Pennsylvania, or Claymont, Delaware. What the hell does that mean exactly? What does that mean? Why is it that every time this guy talks about economic matters, it's always class warfare right out of the Marxist manifesto. The idea, of course, in Marxism to divide primarily on an economic basis Into the Politburo, the controllers of capital, and the proletariat, those who work. That's how they see the world, honestly. That's how they view society. The controllers of the capital and the workers. Like the controllers of the capital, they never worked. They don't work. But the idea being that people eventually rise up, get so sick of the controllers of the capital... That they essentially overthrow the government. I mean, that's the idea behind Marxism. They take control, and then they redistribute. We're all just one big, happy, equalized family. That's the essence of Marxism. It is hard to see that the Democrat Party is in some way different than Marxism it's all about identity politics it started day 1 the whole climate change agenda it's all that's all marxist crap then it's it's the racial stuff it's the gender stuff all that i you know i've described those as the pillars that undergird the democrat party climate change and gender ideology It's all about that that's what uh, that's what they sort of rally around or those issues and it's all about dividing so that you just say uncle okay government bail me out take care of me and then they've got permanent power in doing so but i guess what i would say here to mr biden is sir your policies have in fact enriched the people that you're attacking and it's hurt the people you claim to be the advocate for. It's just the opposite.
1: It's almost like they don't know what the hell they're doing.
2: <laughs> That's like a technical analysis. They don't know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Vivek Ramaswamy. This is, I love it when these, these tweets, Rhino, end up in succession on my feed. So I got Biden saying that. And now here's one right below it from uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. On day one, instantly fire 50% of federal bureaucrats. Here's how. Get this. If your Social Security number ends in an odd number, you're fired. <laughs>
1: well, that's certainly one way to do
2: it. <laughs> that's down, that downsizes government by half. Absolutely nothing will break as a result. It doesn't besides bio-
1: the housing market of DC. <laughs>
2: That's true. It doesn't violate civil service rules because mass layoffs are exempt. Someone's done a little research on that, have they not? And then in all caps he completes this post, this tweet with shut it down. There you go. Let half of them go. So, a little nuance though. I don't think he's talking about the military, but I could be wrong. We just going to fire half of those in our armed so- uh, forces.
1: I mean, generally, when you use the word bureaucrat, you're talking about an office job. Okay, so let's let's. So take if it your- is the military, it would be the Pentagon. Some in the Pentagon. I'm quite Which there's sure there's a need for reform in the Pentagon to begin with because they can't pass an audit. No doubt, they keep losing money and they don't know where it went and the left hand doesn't talk to the right hand because of security clearance, and you wind up paying the big shots like Boeing twice or three times for the same friggin' research. No, no
2: doubt. Uh, and and so I, I disagree with many Republicans' lawmakers that the U.S. military and the Department of Defense are sacred cows and untouchable. I disagree with that. And I really wish that Trump, instead of really promoting the idea and, and and then following through on the idea of increasing funding for the military, which he did by about $175 billion. He said, you re- recall, over and over on the campaign, talking about in 16, that Barack Obama had decimated the military, and it was in sad shape. And there are numerous accounts of old-aged dysfunctional assets, no doubt,
1: It seems like the only thing Obama liked in the military was the drone program.
2: Yeah, that's right. And I I think that's a worthy investment, honestly. We're we're seeing that provide value even today in conflicts. But does that mean that there aren't plenty of opportunities to root out enormous waste and fraud and inefficiencies and abuse? No, it doesn't. It means those got to be on the table. And I wish Trump would have insisted on that before just signing off on, hey, let's just give them another $175 billion. I, I disagreed with that, that approach. So, all right, so then we're talking about the half of federal em- employees in the agency complex, which is amounts to 15% of total spending. So let's just, and, and that, by the way, is not just all payroll costs. Significant a portion of it is, but you could certainly cut that, and and that would accrue some savings, no doubt about it. And I totally agree with Mr. Ramaswamy that I guarantee you we got lots of jobs which are unnecessary, not really producing value. I know that comes as a shock, and I also believe that the folks that call the shots in these agencies – I I think that's where we need some sort of term limits. They're the ones that wield more damage on the economy and society than perhaps anything coming out of Congress. They they have seemingly unchecked power. When it gets checked, in fairness, the Supreme Court has reined them in. We've seen a, a couple of situations with that. Student loans was an example of that. Student loan forgiveness. Affirmative action was an example. And um, energy policy. Lots of crazy energy policy. What is some of the crazy stuff, Rhino? Like, you know, a a puddle in your yard is uh, under the purview of the EPA and nutty crap like that. Totally agree that there needs to be reform there. And and Trump did, in fairness to him. He pointed that out over and over and over again. That's the the so-called swamp. That's the deep state. They have more power and more control and affect our lives more than the people we elect. That's wrong. That is not the way it's supposed to work. But it's it's true to a great extent. Uh, so I, I I agree somewhat with Mr. Ramaswamy. I think that every dang job needs to be validated as necessary. Completely agree with that. Joe Biden. He is completely out in left field, as he always is. You probably saw him, folks, this weekend. Once again, it's almost the, the uh, second verse of the same song, a repeating verse, a refrain. He didn't know what to do at the ceremonies honoring America's veterans, where uh, Reith was on a pedestal at the uh, at the event. And he didn't know exactly what an easel is really what it was hanging on. He didn't know what to do. You saw him, he got confused, walking away, where do I go and all that. It That gets old after a while. It's not funny anymore. It's not, It's never honestly been funny. It's embarrassing. And it's scary that this is a guy that has the nuclear football. But it happens every time. Maybe they ought to rehearse that a little bit before he goes up there. Think they ever talk about it? Or does he just he not remember it anyways? Well, does he not think that – does he just think that's okay? It's okay if somebody has to do – I'm the president. It's okay for me to turn around and ask four different people which way I'm supposed to go and still go the wrong way. That's just – you know, I, it, it's old, it gets old after a while. It, is it a function of him being old and – Seems like it. And, and having some mental acuity challenges? It does seem like it. Especially when
1: you go back and watch videos from – 10 15 20 30 40 years ago. Yeah. He was a lot more there. No,
2: no doubt. With a lot The more elevator went a lot farther up. <laughs> a lot more energy, a lot more enthusiasm, no doubt about it. Yeah. Ohio players with fire. Yeah, that's a good one there from the old disco era. We are stepping aside for a break on middays. Half an hour left in the program. Super Talk Outdoors with Ricky Matthews coming your way today at 12.05. Please stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Middays with Gerard Gibbert It is all. on Super Talk Mississippi
4: When I wake up Well I know I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the man who wakes up next to you When I go out Yeah I know I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the man who goes along with you If I get drunk
0: I am going to be, I'm going to be the man who gets next to
2: you. If I a, if Welcome back, everyone, I middays. I'm going to
0: be the man
2: who's you. If the rest of the week is fairly uh, busy, as they all are. I'll be off tomorrow. I am pleased to be speaking over at Mississippi College. Looking forward to that. Uh, that is for the Entrepreneur Let me make sure I tell you exactly what that organization is called. I want to get that right. The uh, Entrepreneurial Finance, class on entrepreneurial finance. So, looking forward to that. A dozen or so in that class. My good friend Lee Miller is involved. He, of course, with the Miller Transporters family, very successful business that uh, was headquartered out in Clinton, not far from Mississippi College. long time ago, when I was a baby consultant at Arthur Anderson, we implemented uh, some systems for them. That's back in the early 80s, believe it or not. I was involved for a brief period on that project. Great family. Now let's see, Hal Miller, he's been on the uh, program before, I believe. Is um, Is that right? Sounds familiar, yeah. Yeah. Um, Head of the Mississippi Truckers Association, as I recall. So, looking forward to that tomorrow. And then Wednesday at uh, Ace Bolt and Screw. Brand new location up in Greenwood. Thursday, down at the Trademark for the, is it the Trademark or Convention Center? End it for good. They've been on the program before as well. Christina Dent. Brett Montague will be down there. Uh, And then back in the Element Wealth studio on Friday, next week, it's hard to believe, it's Thanksgiving. Where did the time go? It'll be at the convention complex. Okay, at the convention complex. I wasn't sure which one. And then uh, we roll right into Christmas in a series of remotes I'll be traveling about for those looking forward to it. I think we're going to be in Cleveland and Columbia.
1: Oh, yeah, we got 50 Nights of Lights next
2: Tuesday. Okay, yeah. That ought to be fun. That's right. I think I was off last year for that at a conflict. So we're looking forward to um, all the remotes, all the activities, lots of stuff to talk about. We got state elections are pretty much in the books. We still got one outstanding race for the Public Service Commissioner office in the Central District. Still too close to call. AP won't won't give us a nod on that one, will they? About twenty eight hundred votes, I believe, separate the candidates. Incumbent uh, Brent Bailey, challenger, former House of Representatives member De Stamps. Mister Stamps is in the lead presently. Is that what you see? Still about ninety six or ninety seven percent in at this point.
1: Interesting. Yeah, just a hair over 3,000 votes separating the two.
2: Okay, so now it's up to a 3,000 vote delta. All right. No call yet, though, right? Nothing. Not yet. Official. Everything else called. Done. In the books. Off we go. No runoff. Interesting. 52 strikes and three responses, according to Chris from Oxford, uh, with respect to attacks on U.S. personnel or assets. I actually thought it was more than that. I thought I saw a report that it was north of 100. But nonetheless... Well, it's 52
1: incidents, but those incidents involve multiple rockets or RPGs.
2: gotcha. Well, our, our response has been rather tentative, to say the least. Now, I'm certainly not suggesting let's go all out, but where do we draw the line? That's the point. What has the president said... Okay, you've you've attacked. There have been incidents. I don't know that any one has lost their life. I don't know that there have been any casualties. But when when do we draw? Where do we draw the line? I haven't seen or heard anything out of the White House that says you're getting close. And once you cross this threshold, we're going to retaliate. We're going to respond in a more aggressive manner. I haven't seen that yet.
1: Well, considering President Biden got worried about artificial intelligence after a viewing of Top Gun,
0: <laughs>
1: I don't think <laughs> he's really the the brightest bulb in the fixture.
2: Oh, jeez. golly! So, uh, on the C Spire text line, Biden should stay out of Hunter's stash. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Moe's says the Department of Education. I think that Education, would give him more energy, though. Yeah, exactly. Certainly needs it. The Department of Education and EPA are duplicated at the state level, says Moe's. Those are two agencies that could be asked. And you recall, who could forget the now infamous moment in the presidential debate that featured Rick Perry? When was that, 12, I think? 2012, the governor of Texas, when he at the podium,
1: yeah, 2012,
2: made the statement: "There are three agencies we're going to get rid of." Remember that one? He said, "Commerce, education, and the um um what's the third one?" And he couldn't remember it, but it was commerce, ed- education, and and EPA. That's what he wanted to get rid of. That was during a, a 20 a presidential debate leading up to the 2012 election. By the way, Moe's, that would amount to, certainly not chicken scratch, about 135 or so billion dollars. In the savings if we just completely gutted those agencies, just did away with them totally, Department of Education and the EPA. That's what it, it would say. Plausible suggestion, though, no doubt. Chris says, no, Gerard, if they get close, we'll just draw another line in the sand. Now, if you cross this one, we're going to do this. But now if you cross this one, we're... Yeah, I hear you, Chris, and I think that's happened before, has it not? I seem to recall that Barack Obama employed that same sort of strategy, that same sort of response. The red line in Syria. Yeah, but it it kept getting moved. I agree. Thompson Greenwood wants a shutdown. He says that uh, essentially the... Let's see, the Re- the Republicans in the House ought to stand firm, and if the Democrats don't concede, they just ought to shut the thing down. And my belief is that that would only hurt Republicans. I- I'm thinking about what's necessary to really affect meaningful spending reform. And the only way that's going to happen is if, hopefully, this would happen. Republicans have control of both houses and the White House. Anything short of that, you're not getting any meaningful reform. Chuck Schumer's already made it very plain that uh, any sort of spending cuts on the non-defense discretionary side are dead on arrival. Now, of course, I get it. That's a uh, negotiating ploy. And maybe he would concede some, but he would also require the Republicans to concede some as well. And here we go, back and forth, back and forth, and I think at the end of the day, nothing substantial happens. So, Thomas, I think the point I'm making that you're missing is that just as you're imploring Republicans in the House, stand your ground, so are Democrats to their representatives, and more importantly to the senators where they have control, Stay on your ground. So we have a stand your ground back and forth. So is it just comes down to who breaks first? In my view, and this is just based on history and and sort of based on kind of prevailing sentiment in the country, is that if that were to happen, I think very effectively Democrats would lay that blame at the feet of Republicans, and that would figure in mightily into the 2024 election. Remember, we're going to the polls again to vote for every member of the House and 31 senators. I, I think that would be detrimental. Already I'm seeing these referendums, what happened in Virginia last week, a complete shock honestly where Democrats not only retained control of the Senate, but they gained a control. They flipped the house. I think that's a, a somewhat of a powerful harbinger of the future. 2024. And I think this would just pile it on. Shutting it down would pile it on. Especially consider this, in my view, Rhino, is the the just the, the tumultuous way in which a new speaker was selected and the fact that we oust one, we sit idle for nearly a month without any leadership, then all of a sudden one ascends, we put them in there, and this is the first thing they're dealing with. I just think all that is going to play favorably for Democrats come 2024. Now, I certainly acknowledge that people do have short memories, and they, to a large extent, think about how how am I doing today? You know, on election day, how are things? And that probably is more influential on how they cast their vote than anything. I do believe that. But a lot of that could change if a bunch of money comes in and really highlights all this chaos that's been going on we're stepping aside for a break and coming back with the final segment on middays it's monday super talk outdoors with ricky matthews after the noon break
0: are we gonna do this middays with gerard gibbert Many more
2: times. We just learned that Marianne Trump Barry, that's former President Donald Trump's sister, just passed away at the age of 86. That a report from the New York City Police Department. Also, uh, on this immigration front, Chicago, there are reports that migrants who entered the country from South America, Venezuela to be exact, they're headed back, said there's nothing for us here. You know what else is going on? It's starting to get cold in Chicago. It gets cold in a hurry. I mean, like there's September's like kind of our December, January. It gets chilly up there. And so, it
1: being the windy city, the wind chill is
2: brutal. It is that totally brutal. I, I know I've told the story before, but was was at uh, school up in St. Charles, Illinois for three weeks. And on the weekend, uh, a couple of the weekends, uh, those the other students in the class, we headed over to Chicago just to enjoy the nightlife. And man, there was a front moving through. And it was just big chunks of ice. <laughs> Coming from the sky, and it was downtown near the lake, Michigan Avenue, the Miracle Mile, beautiful, and it was like going parallel to the ground. That ice just pelting you mm-hmm. um, with the wind blowing off the lake there, a uh, northerly wind, of course, and it it got me so much. I didn't have sufficient clothing. It got me on the eyes, and it literally froze my eyelids to my eyebrows. I couldn't blink. And I had to go stand in front of one of those space eaters, all the buildings, the shops, the stores, at least back then. This was a long time ago. A lot of them had, like, little foyer sort of entryways, and they had the big fan-forced heat space eaters, which was really to try to keep the cold air from coming inside, you know. And I stood in front of one of those things to try to thaw my eyes out so I could blink again.
1: I think it's Cat Williams that has the joke about going to Chicago and it disrespecting his jacket, that that's the kind of place <laughs> you need to buy your jacket
2: there that you're going to wear. <laughs> that's a good point. It's brutal. Down there along that lake, it's beautiful. Now, I don't know what it's like now with all the, the craziness that's been going on with the migrants and crime and everything else, but... Man, I was just one of the most fabulous, unique environments in an American city. I I, I, I know it's decline and I hate it, and it's just because poor leadership or lack thereof. But I, at one time, same thing in San Francisco. You've seen that. Of course, they're cleaning it up, right? Oh, yeah, they, they cleaned it up
1: because the communists are coming.
2: <laughs> they got <laughs> got to own. impress their bosses. <laughs> they got goofy uh, their bosses. <laughs> goofy Gavin Newsom actually admitted, well, yeah, it's, they cleaned it up because of us. You saw that. He didn't know what to say.
1: Which means every single elected <laughs> official in that godforsaken dump of a city should be dumped on their hind ends next election because <laughs> this proves they had the wherewithal <laughs> to get it done. They didn't care that they were taking your tax dollars and just flushing it.
2: No, no, no. <laughs> Very true. Uh, Rhett and Ridgeland says, if it's too loud, you're too old. Actually, it, it wasn't the volume <clears throat> that was kind of hurting my ears. It was a kind of shrill sound. <laughs> That's like a Led Zeppelin tune or something, isn't oh, yeah. did not it, you played? That's yeah.
1: the last track from their debut self-titled album, Led Zeppelin. Okay. 1969. That's incredible.
2: Yeah, before they really hit their height of popularity when they had the big songs. Incredible. Uh, Let's see. Oh, but it will get the gears moving on your show if it's discussed as a possibility. Just saying this is somebody talking about bringing back Dan Mullen as the head coach of Mississippi State University. I just don't think it's going to happen. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't see it.
1: I mean, he'd be taking a pay cut to do it. Yeah, he's got a pretty good gig. So he'd be taking a pay cut, which means his motivation might be a little suspect. And he's not a very good recruiter at all in a world, in a day and age where recruiting is king.
2: And he's admitted that it's not a part of the job that he enjoys. Some Some coaches are really good coaching the game and motivating players.
1: I just think there's too many marks against him for it to be the, the smart move.
2: I mean, it's it's a different environment than it was di- then with the portal and NIL, a- as uh, Brian Haydad, I think, accurately pointed out. So we'll see where all that goes. It's always drama out there in college football land, but the stakes are so high now with the pay. Why don't we ever hear anything out of the left on that? Like they go after the ceos you know they're the bane of society well they
1: they try but that's usually professors on college campuses and they get told to shut up because it's the money maker
2: (laughs) that's right we're out of here today i'm back with you on a wednesday from greenwood until then stay safe and god bless everyone
0: a super talk mississippi media production